Yes, no, maybe. I think I hear it. Yeah, we're there. Okay, great, 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 great. Great, great, great. Well, um, if you're new here today, you ought to come back next week. Um, because I'm not Pastor Zeke, he'll be back next week. So, uh, so don't don't let this, you know, be what you judge a whole church on <laughs> on one Sunday. Anyways, um, as we did, Pastor Zeke's not anywhere; he's here. But uh, we've always for quite a while now. On the fifth Sunday of the month, we kind of do things a little different. It's good every two or three months. Uh, to get a break, and so that's what Pastor Zeke's doing today. He's just taking a little break. Um, it's really nice for him, uh, you know, again, every few months to not teach on a Sunday. It kind of frees him up during the week, a little less study time, and, uh, and we want him to rest, right? We want, we want the best him, and so if we make him rest, then we'll get the best him. So uh, with that, we're going to continue where we usually continue if Pastor Zeke is out, and that's in 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're in chapter 15. Today, uh, if you were around last time, Pastor Gary had taught the rest of chapter 14. And in chapter 14, uh, you know, I kind of, I left him off with like the really uh, difficult one to teach. And so he got to do that. Um, But anyways, uh, I want to remind everyone of one thing real quick. Uh, The baptism that we're having at the end of next month. Uh, If you've never been baptized, come get baptized right? It's just, and we're going to have a wonderful time here. Uh, But even if you're like, I've been baptized so I could stay home, come and encourage those who are getting baptized. And what you get to do as we potluck together is you get to meet people that you wouldn't know who go to first service. Because sometimes, you know, we just miss each other. And so it's a wonderful time to just fellowship. We'll be a you know, church body together. It's going to be a wonderful time. So, okay, so there's that. First Corinthians 15. We're in the part of Corinthians. We're going to pray in just a moment, but we're, as a little introduction. We're in the part of First Corinthians where Paul is talking about church order and what things need to be. And so in chapters like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. He talked about, uh, you know, the, the role of men and women in the church. He talked about how the gifts are to be used together. He talked about love and how that's kind of the, the how we get along together as we love each other. And that's in chapter 13. And so now, uh, and, and Pastor Gary again taught about uh, the gifts of specifically prophecy and tongues being used in the church and how they're supposed to be used decently. And in order, right? Now, he's going to get into a doctrinal thing here, and it's, it's, it's talking about resurrection, okay? That's what we're going to talk about today. It seems that there had been some who had come into the church in Corinth, uh, some who were some maybe some resu- uh, resurrection deniers, uh, maybe, maybe not denying that there's any life after death, but saying it's not an actual bodily resurrection, that, that we're just some spirit beings, nothing literal, and, and there's some danger there. And so Paul's going to kind of combat that, and he's going to talk about it. And I think he lays out a, a wonderful point the way he does it. I, I don't know if, if, if you enjoy the way Paul writes, but, but sometimes he's really that lawyer that just puts together a point so perfectly, and I think he does that here, and so we're going to study that this morning. Before we do that, let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, Lord, it's our desire that you speak to us. 
Oh, Lord, we worship you in this time with, with our minds as we study your word, as we learn. Lord, we don't come to a book of do's and don'ts. We're not, we're not looking at a book of stories with good messages. Lord, we're learning primarily, Lord, who you are and, and what you're like, God. Our, our desire is to connect with you this morning through your word. And so, uh, Holy Spirit, we, we ask you to, to fill us afresh and new. We ask you, Lord, to give us insight and understanding as we study that, Lord, you would do what only you can do this morning and do heart work on us. And so go before our time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians 15, it's a long chapter. There's no way we're getting through the whole thing. And so we're going to try to go through 23 verses today. That's a place where we can kind of land and find a good stopping point. So what we're going to do first is we're going to read through those 23 verses. So follow along, you know, mark it up if there are certain things that stand out. And then we're going to go back and talk about them. So he starts in verse 1. He says, Moreover, brethren... I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you were saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then, last of all, he was seen by me as by one born out of due time. Verse uh, Nine, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Verse 12. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Verse 18, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by one man, 
excuse me, for since by man came death, by man also comes the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in its own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a very exciting <laughs> set of verses. And I, you know me, I'm very reserved usually, right? But there's a little excitement in this text, okay? So if, if, if the volume gets a little louder, that's okay, right? We're just really excited about this. You know, my prayer this morning, uh, as I was kind of wrapping up, is just like, Lord, two things. Would you restore unto us the joy of our salvation this morning? And Lord, if there just so happens to be someone who's never known you personally, maybe today could be that day for them. That's been my prayer this morning. And, and the reason is, is because sometimes life is just life. And we can get caught up in things that are really peripheral, right? And get so, so focused and sometimes out of balance, focusing on things that, that maybe aren't the most important things. Well, today is the most important thing, right? The most important thing as we talk about what the gospel is, what it means, and so Paul starts out, he says, look, I'm declaring to you the gospel. That word gospel means good news. So, of course, back in this culture, when they had a word that meant good news, they're like, well, let's, let's tag that along with what the best news is. What is this good news? What is the gospel? Well, Paul starts out, he says, this gospel that I declare to you, which I preached to you. That word preached, it speaks of, of being heralded, of being proclaimed. It's this message that goes out, and it's written in the present tense. I'm no Greek scholar, but there's smarter guys than me who have told me this, that it's written in the present tense, that it's not just a one-time deal, oh, we preached one time and that's it. It's a continual going forth of this message. It continues to be preached. And so the preaching is good and all. But the second step is very important as well. He says, we preached to you. He says, which you also then what? Received. That's the second part of the equation. The preaching's great, but you know just as well as I know, there's been things you've heard or been taught and you go, I don't have time for that. And you walk away. The gospel is, 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 is no good in an individual's life if they don't receive it. If you don't take it. And it's more than just listening to it, it's to ascribe to it. I like how it says in the Amplified when he talks about believing in Christ, right? Whoever would believe in him. He says that it's to believe on, to cling to, to rely upon. That's what it means when we believe in Jesus saying, yes, I accept what you say, but I don't just accept it as knowledge. I will now put my weight into it. That makes sense? So it's more than just this, like, uh, I believe it could be. It's no, I'm staking everything I have to it. So Paul says, I preached, you received, and it, this is the gospel in which you stand. To stand is to place ourselves somewhere, 
right? This is what I stand for. I'm, I'm, I'm planting myself here. I'm not going to be pushed this way or pushed that way or move here based on what the newest book says about whatever, right? But I'm standing here. And I like this, and I think it's very nice of Paul to write this. This, this letter, if you've been with us for the last three years studying through this book or have studied through it on your own, this is a very corrective letter. There was a lot of things happening in Corinth, right? I mean, the correction at the very beginning goes, man, you guys are so carnal. It's always about this group or that group and nobody agrees and it's this and it's that. And he goes, you guys are just so carnal. He gets into the immorality stuff that he talks about and that's bad news. And he he talks about just the different problems in the church. But he says, even with all that, despite all the correction, all the weirdness going on in Corinth, he goes, but you're still Christians. You still believe in Jesus. You still believe that's the only way to heaven is Jesus. You're Christians. You've, you, you stand there. Isn't that the same in, in just every church you've ever been in? You know, there could be some weirdness here and there. There could be stuff that's like, man, it just doesn't seem, you know. What, yeah. but, it's like, but we're Christians. We stand on this foundation of Christ. Right? Some people are a little more charismatic than others. He just gets, gets done talking about that. Some people are a little more charismatic. Some people are more a little reserved. Some more over here. Some people major in this. Some people get a little bit over here. But he goes, but, but you're all Christians. He says that, 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 verse two, by which also you were saved. What does it mean to be saved? Well, we know that there is a penalty for those of us who have sinned, right? Penalty is a pretty big one. You know, the, the thing that we deserve, and we'll get more into this in just a bit, but there's a penalty for sin called hell. And, and we've been saved from that. I, I love to look at it in the three tenses. We, we have been saved by what Jesus did on the cross. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. We are currently being saved from the power of sin in our lives, right? That, that day by day, as this sanctification process happens, as we're becoming more and more like Christ on a day-by-day basis, sin has less of a tug on us, right? By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can overcome sin. And, and, and glory to God that a lot of us, as we continue to walk with Jesus, it's like, man, I'm growing. I don't, I don't struggle with what I always struggled with, Sin doesn't do to me what it used to do to me. And there is a day coming when we will be saved from even the presence of sin, right? When we're in heaven. He says that if we would hold fast that word which was preached, unless we'd believed in vain. To hold fast, it speaks of a captain of a ship, right? He's holding that wheel. I don't know what it's called. It's a wheel? I don't sail, but... But you know the thing, right? Where you just, they hold it and it goes, no, I'm not being moved from here. And that's his job, is to stay with it and even go down with it if he's got to, right? But, but we have stood, we've been saved and we hold fast. Now again, as you know, and there could be arguments all over the church and there has been for generations. Well, why do we have to keep holding fast? If I got saved, aren't I always saved? Is it, what, you know, what is it? What is this? What is that? Look, all I know is this. He just says, hey, keep holding fast so that you don't believe in vain. What does it mean to do something in vain? 
It, it means that all the previous good can be undone by, by the bad, right? That the previous belief uh, and work is, is no good. Uh, I remember one time uh, when I worked construction, we were fixing this water leak. It was this big, like, you know, 10-inch water line, and it was buried real deep, and, and it started leaking. And so we were working a job in Laguna, and we had worked our eight hours, and they're like, hey, now we need you to go to Fullerton and go fix this thing. And so, you know, by about two in the morning, you're pretty tired, um, and, and it's been a long day and a long night, and you're soaking wet, and you're just frustrated, and, and we're finally starting to fix it, and it's and, and we're backfilling the, the, the soil, and we're, we're almost done and then you see this little dot of water come through the ground and you go oh (laughs) and within moments this 12 by 12 by 12 hole is filled with water again and I just go what a waste everything we've done has been in vain There is nothing that can be saved out of this. I've lost sleep. I'm frustrated. I'm cold. I'm tired, you know, and it's all a waste. At least if I would have went home, it would have been fine. And now we're here for another however many hours, right? For something to be done in vain, you go, what a waste of what's happened. And he says, and and, and it's okay if construction has been done in vain. You'll live. We never want this to have been done in vain. What we do for the Lord as we walk with him, there's this responsibility we have to, you know, obviously have a good past and a good present, but we ought to always think of the future continuing to stand fast. Well, so is it once saved, always saved? You know what? Just keep abiding is what I say, right? Just keep walking with Jesus. Keep holding fast. Keep standing there. Every day we make a decision to stand and to keep walking with the Lord Jesus. Unless, again, we look back after all that time and it had be done in vain. And now verse three, Paul's gonna talk about the gospel. He says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. This is Christian ministry. This is Christian service. This is what we do. We only pass on what we've received from the Lord. I think this is a problem sometimes in in our day is that we're always looking for something new, something that hasn't been yet, right? We love, and, and we know this one, was it when Paul was in Athens that he's like, everyone always sitting around wanting to learn something new. And what's that good old phrase that we love? If it's new, it's probably not true. And if it's true, it's definitely not new. This work we do as Christians, especially as preachers, we're just giving back what we just have, we're just reminding, right? And so Paul goes, look, I'm not the creator of any of this stuff. I didn't make this up on my own. And again, there's this danger. We've got to be real careful with, with even what we listen to, what we hear. Uh, and I'm talking within the church sometimes. That sometimes we're looking for hip, edgy, new. Oh man, never heard it like that before. You've got to be real careful about that. It should just be the, the, the classic stuff of what God has done, right? And, and so I like Charles Spurgeon says this, We aren't makers or inventors. We are repeaters. We tell a message that we received. 
I think of just within the last couple of weeks, you know, we're finally learning a little more about technology here at the church and, uh, and the Wi-Fi runs out by the time you go to the back of the church, right? Because all the Wi-Fi, and I don't know how Wi-Fi is or isn't. I don't know what comes in in that wire and how it floats in the air or anything like that. But you can buy a range extender or a repeater, it's called, right? And you, and you plug that in and you hook that to the original signal and then it sends that signal further. That little thing's not creating anything. It's not creating its own Wi-Fi. I don't think. That's not how it works. And if it does, there's nothing good about it because it doesn't have anything. You have to have something going into it so it could send it out, right? And that's what we are. We're just little repeaters, right? That we receive from the Lord and that's when we get what we give. That's, that's the goal at least. Because if we start giving of ourselves, no one needs more Daniel in their life, right? No one needs more of us. They need more of God, right? Our own, you know, Whatever. They don't need it. Nobody needs that. I don't need more people. (laughs) I need more God. Right? So, I I like also Warren Wiersbe says that, that ministry happens when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. Our job is just to be the loving channels. We're not making something new. And what's so cool about that is even the results and stuff aren't up to us. That's comforting for me. Um, I I am just to repeat what God has given me to to do. That's it. Uh, It's not on me to change a life. I can't change a life. You can't change a life. Nobody can change a heart. That's God's business. So we just are these loving channels that pass on what God has to people. And that's it. So what is this message? Now, this is a big message. Because it's so important to see what God does. It's just as important to look at what this is not saying. Um, you know, you, we all hear this at Christmas time, you know, if God wanted everyone to be physically, you know, sound, he, he would have sent a doctor, right? Well, Jesus is a great physician. Yeah, we know that, but he's not primarily a physician, (laughs) right? If, if, if God wanted everyone, uh, you know, to be just educated, he would have sent an educator. Now, Jesus was a teacher. We know that. But do you remember when the angel comes to Mary and to Joseph and he says, you're going to name him what? Jesus. Because he's going to what? Save his people from what? The Romans? No. From their sins. When we get out of that line and we start thinking that Jesus came to do other things. Now, I'm not saying that good things don't come, blessings don't flow out of this. There are plenty of blessings. But Jesus did not come primarily so that we can live our best life, right? Jesus didn't come primarily so that we could have financial freedom. Though there are financial freedom teachers who happen to be Christians, and there are some good biblical principles about finances, But that is not the primary reason Jesus came is so we could have it all rocking that way. Jesus didn't come primarily so that we would have good marriages or good families. It's a great byproduct, 
right? That when we honor God and obey God, so often things stay in the lines with family. But that's not his primary purpose. He didn't say, and I'm going to name him marriage counselor so that you would have a good marriage. No, it, it wasn't his name. Jesus. So he'd save his people. He, you know, he didn't even come for world peace, right? Jesus, he's got to fix that problem. We got to fix that where the church has to do this and the church has to do that. No, it doesn't. I don't find that. In, in, uh, primarily, Jesus came to forgive people for their sins. Feeding the poor is great. I, I wish we had world peace. But that's not the primary reason Jesus came. And when we get off of that, he didn't come to, to uh, take addiction from us. Do some people get healed of their addiction immediately? Some it takes a while. And some of us in this room go, yeah, I had addiction. Jesus took it. Praise God. We, we are so excited about that. But that's not the main thing. The main thing is because if Jesus only came for addiction, there's some in this room that go, I don't have, I don't have addiction. I don't, I don't need help from addiction. Well, Jesus came to give, give you financial freedom. I already have a good job. I don't need that. Oh, well, Jesus came to uh, fix your family. Okay, I'm good. My family's fine. Uh, God, you see, God came to deal with a problem that no one else could deal with. I heard someone say, let the church do what, the church, what only the church can do. <laughs> only the church can preach Jesus, right? <laughs> right? And some churches have gotten out of balance over the years, going too far to one cause or another cause, and you miss the main cause. What's the main cause? He says, I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Jesus died because all of us on our own, because of sin, deserve to die and to go to hell. We deserve to be separated from God. That's what we deserve. So, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor, smart or dumb, tall or short, skinny or fat, right-leaning, left-leaning. It's every tribe, people, tongue, and nation. I love about the gospel that it's totally inclusive. Now, it's also totally exclusive, but it's totally inclusive. That there's no one in this room who would go, I've never sinned, I can't join. <laughs> right? We've all sinned. We can all join up. Right? You've been places, right? You go fill out an application, bring your resume. They look at your resume and go, not enough. We need something better than that. The door's right over there. Go ahead and walk out. Or, I want to join this club. No, you go join another club. You don't have what it takes for this club, right? We've all been, you know, on the playground and they're picking the teams. You're not athletic enough. You go do something else, you know? We've all, and we can all be left out of certain things. This is not one of them. It's totally inclusive. All who have sinned, come apply here, right? What does it mean to sin? All it means is, well, I'm not this crazy. It doesn't mean. It just means we've fallen short of perfection. So that's everyone here. But the only thing that God would allow into heaven is perfection. So that leaves us with a problem. Well, can't God just drop it a little bit? Can't he just, you know, like so many colleges nowadays, can't he just lower the bar? Right? I know a few people that work in education, right? It's just like, did it, did it? but you know the problem if you keep following that logic? 
Let's just say they started really dropping the bar for what it took to be a doctor. Do you want care from that? No, I don't. I, I really care that my doctor paid attention in class, right? <laughs> were you one of those C's gets degrees type or were you the one that did your homework? Because that's what I want, right? You know, if they, if they dropped the, you know, on so many things, if you drop the standard and you water it down, you know, if heaven's going to be heaven, but we're going to start letting certain people in, it's not very much heaven, is it? <laughs> right? Well, just two lies are okay. No, you see, it's just this easy. God only allows perfection in. So what do we need now to be saved? <laughs> we need to be saved from our sins because we can't pay for it. All the money in the world can't buy it. Enough good deeds, right? Can I just do this much and that'll pay it off? No. We're told uh, in, in the Old Testament that our best day, our best offering before the Lord, right? Our best righteousness, the best we can be, it's filthy rags before the Lord. It's not enough. So Jesus comes to die a sacrificial death in our place to say, you can't pay for it. If you'll believe it, I'll pay for it. Isn't that good news? That's, that's great news, but it's slightly incomplete. Well, you have to get through the other two parts for this to be a really good story. So he pays for the sin, and we all have sinned. But also, he says next, and he was buried. Why is that part important? We can skip that, right? No, we can't skip that. You see, if he wasn't buried, then people can go, well, was he really dead? Did he just take a long nap? You know, maybe with all the trauma of being crucified, maybe he just kind of went into a coma a little bit and then just woke up a few days later. No, you, you don't bury someone in a coma. <laughs> you, don't, you don't bury someone who's not yet dead, right? They have this swoon theory that it's like, well, he wasn't totally dead. He was just like, you know, sleeping. Well, yeah, he was a little bit dead. Even, even if, for some of you have seen, he's even mostly dead. Uh, no, he was, he was dead, okay? He was dead. This is not a small thing that he was put into the grave. Now, at this point, you know, I could come out and say, hey, guys, I'm going to die for everyone here so you guys can all go to heaven. And I just want you to put your trust in me right now. You know, I'm a very great guy, good teacher, whatever, you know, like Jesus was. And here I am. And, and I'm, I'm a really nice guy. And so I'll die for your sins. And you guys can all go, oh, great. Yes. All right. Go do it. Go do it. And then I go die for you. And then you guys bury me. And then I stay there. Then some are going to start scratching their heads and go, do you think it took? Did, did, did it work? How do we know that the sins were really paid for? How do we know that he was valuable enough? So you know what Jesus did, we all know. And this is, this is it for us. So he was buried and he rose again on the third day to prove it. You know, where the cross is the payment for the sin, the empty tomb is the receipt. 
It worked. It took. When Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one gets to the Father but by me. Anyone can make that claim, but if they don't rise from the dead to prove it, then it didn't take. Right? This is the proof positive that we have. That we have a God who can conquer death. And that there is true life after death. Dave Guzik says this, Jesus was a unique case. He did not or will not rise at some general resurrection of the dead. Instead, he rose the third day after his death. This also demonstrates Jesus' credibility because he proclaimed he would rise three days after his death. And you can find that in Matthew 16, 17, and also in 20. That Jesus said, I am going to die, but I will rise again. And he did it. He did all this. He says it twice in these couple of verses. He did it all according to the scriptures. Now, if you look throughout the whole Old Testament, I love to read the Old Testament because it just brings the New Testament to life. If you don't read the Old Testament, I would encourage you highly to start reading it as you read the New Testament. And it just, it just, man, brightens everything. But you could imagine that those who read the Old Testament without the New Testament, thought there's some things that are a little grainy, a little fuzzy here. What does this really look like? Because it sounds like at some points he dies. It sounds like other times he rises. It sounds like kind of some different things. But, but um, just Jesus' death alone, being foretold in both the Psalms and also in Isaiah. In Psalm chapter 22, that's a good note if you want to write it down and read it again. Psalm 22 and Isaiah chapter 53 are such detailed accounts of exactly how it would go down. It's, it's, it's wonderful to go, man, the old, he did all this, him dying, he did it according to the scriptures. But him rising again, also was done according to the scriptures. Places like Hosea 6 verse 2, Jonah 1 verse 17, Psalm 16 verse 10, and also Genesis chapter 22 gives us a wonderful picture of what this would look like. Now, you might say, well, just because Paul wrote that in verse 3 doesn't really prove much. Just because you say someone's been resurrected, how do we know they've really been resurrected, right? So Paul, like a good lawyer, starts laying out his case now. It's great in the court of law when you could have some circumstantial evidence. It's helpful. But the best evidence you could have is what? Eyewitness accounts, Multiple people who can say, yeah, we saw the same thing. One person gives an account, okay. Second person gives an account that's very similar, okay, that's a little more clear. When you can have multiple people say, yes, we saw it happen just this way, sure, there's a possibility for collusion, but chances are that's what really happened. So he starts out and he says in verse 12 that after he talks about resurrection, that he was... Because we could all say, well, he was just now. Okay, wait, hold on. I kind of jumped ahead there. (sighs) Because when some talk about him raising from the dead, some go, well, you know, maybe just the apostles came and stole the body away. And they just, you know, perpetuated this lie for a long time. Um, I don't think you can read the scriptures honestly and think that the disciples were capable of something this good. (laughs) 
they kind of seem to be like us. I, you know, I don't know a delicate way, and I don't want to be rude to them, but they were very normal. When Jesus was being betrayed in the garden, they all ran away. They followed at a distance. They were hiding out. So to think that all of a sudden they'd be brave and go like, let's take on those Roman guards and get that body. That They wouldn't have done that. There's a second one, and it is kind of offensive, but I'll say it anyways. Um, they, <laughs> they, well, maybe the ladies just went to the wrong tomb. Now, look, I get the jokes that can just flow from there, right, about women in directions. I'm not going to say any of them, but I think that's dishonest, too, to think they went to the wrong, they, went to, they knew where he was buried. They knew how to get back to that place even before GPS, right? They knew how to get back. So, so it wasn't a wrong address thing. It wasn't the disciples were brave now and stole the body. Jesus rose from the grave. And after he had risen, because you could ask, well, then who's seen him? Oh, good question. Peter saw him. It says in verse five, he was seen by Cephas. He was then seen by the 12, you remember. And the 12 is the general term for the apostles. Obviously, we know that the first time he came in, Judas had already hung himself and that, and that Thomas wasn't there. But the 12 is the general term for the guys who always followed him. But he came in, you remember, he walks in the room, he goes, hey, peace to you guys. Whoa, is that really you, Jesus? He's like, yeah, look it, here's the hands. Touch him, touch my side, do the thing. And then Thomas later goes, I can't believe that. Jesus comes back, Thomas, here, feel my hands, feel my side. Blessed are you who've seen uh, and, and, and believe. Blessed are those who haven't seen, they'll believe, right? But then he says this, then in verse six, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remained to this day. Some have fallen asleep, that means they died. But he says this, over five, he goes, and a lot of these people are still alive. Go ask them. Did you see this? Did you really see it? After that, he was seen by James. That would be his brother, not James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but James, Jesus' brother. He was seen by James and then all the other apostles in Acts chapter one. Then last of all, he was seen by, by Paul himself. Uh, he said, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. That's the Acts chapter nine account, right? Where he's actually going to persecute the church a little more. Jesus apprehends him, talks to him. He sees the Lord there. Now again, is it possible for over 500 people to collude and come up with this story? Sure, it is kind of possible. There is a small chance. I, I like what Chuck Colson said. Does anybody remember Chuck Colson? He wrote a book called Loving God. He did prison fellowship for many years. He was also part of the Nixon administration, and they had a little hiccup somewhere. In there. Just kidding. You guys know what happened. He said, though, here we were in the White House, after we had committed a crime and all of us, the most powerful men really in the world, all looked at each other and said, we, we will tell this lie and we will perpetuate this lie that none of us actually did what we're guilty of doing. He said within a week, two weeks, everyone had folded. When they were threatened with prison time and certain things, all these very powerful men, when they were, when they were you know, again, you'll lose everything, they go, well, well, okay, yeah, we did it. Okay, yeah, it was a mistake. Yeah, this is what happened. To think that the apostles, right, these lowly fishermen would go lose everything for something that they knew to be a lie, I think it's disingenuous. 
all these eyewitnesses, plenty, who, who, who saw this and said, no, Jesus is alive. We will put you to death if you don't stop saying that. They go, I can't say anything else. He's alive. Guys, we serve a living God. We don't worship some figment of our imagination, some fairy tale, something that, that the evidence cannot support. When people say, oh, you Christians, you silly people have this blind faith, it's not really blind, right? There's this evidence for what it is. There, there's all this documentation for what we have. It's not just blind faith. We have a God who is alive, and that's who we serve. And so, again, all this was done according to the Scripture. Paul, in verses 9, 10, and 11, gives a quick aside on who he is. Okay, he says he was, he was this last one that saw Jesus, kind of one born out of due time. He says, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. Why? He says, because I persecuted the church of God. And we remember what Paul was doing. You remember even the very beginning when Stephen, the first martyr, is killed. And who was there consenting to their death? It was Paul, watching all the clothes of the guys who were throwing the rocks. And later in chapter 9, he's, he's going to imprison people and, and go against the church. And, and God grabs hold of him. And, and this is such a picture of the grace of God. And Paul says that himself in verse 10. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He says, I have no business serving the Lord Jesus. I have no business being saved, being allowed to do what I'm going to do. Because it would be one thing if God says, you know what, Paul, I'll forgive you of all these things that you've done, but you're going to be like on timeout until the end. Because I can't trust you. You're rotten. You've done some bad things. If, if Paul were to get saved and everyone, the leaders of the church at the time, looked around and go, I, we're not going to use him. We can't, we can't use him. I think even Paul himself would have understood and gone, you're right. I wouldn't trust me either. <laughs> right? But then the Lord invites him into the work. God's grace, right? This abundant blessing of his, this unmerited favor is what grace is. It's, it's God giving us beyond what we deserve. That's his grace. It's abundant guys, it's bigger than anything we could even comprehend. That this guy, he's going, man, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Because this is what I deserve. This is where God has brought me. This is what he's allowed. It's all God here. He says, and his grace towards me was not in vain. I didn't just receive it and then do nothing with it. He says, no, I labored more abundantly than they all, talking about the other apostles. Now you could go, well, wait, wait a second. All the, you, were, you were all grace talk a second ago that it's all God, and now you're like telling us how amazing you are that you've labored more than everyone else. Well, it's the truth, <laughs> right? Uh, the maps in the back of your Bible 
Most of them are dedicated to what Paul did, right? He, he labored pretty abundant. If you look real quickly at 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to read it kind of quickly. But 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul kind of throws out, these are all the things I've done in the name of Jesus. These are all the things that I've done. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israel? Again, we're in 1122. 2 Corinthians 1122. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they of the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. In journeys often. In perils of the waters, of perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among the false brethren, in weariness and in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides, he says, the other things that come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Man, this guy had been through it. He labored. And probably more abundantly than all the other apostles. And, but again, and this isn't Paul being proud. I, you know, honestly, I think the true gauge of humility isn't this like, oh, no, not me. I didn't do it. You know, when people go, oh, Paul, man, that was wonderful what you did. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't ever say such a thing. I don't do anything for God. He goes, no, I labor pretty hard. The grace of God supplied all of it. It supplied all the power for me. It, it supplied the forgiveness, the sanctification. It's God's grace that I'm filled with his Holy Spirit and I could walk forth in his power. He goes, but yeah, I run pretty hard. I run pretty hard for the Lord. And he says, and yet it's not me <laughs> completely. It's the grace of God that was with me. Right? That wonderful book. And, and I think true humility, it's just an honest assessment of who we really are in the light of God. It's not this Eeyore type thing. Oh, is me. No, no, no. I can't do it. You know, hey, can you help? No, I'm good for nothing. Or you can go, yeah, God's given me a gift to be able to help with that. I could help with that. And then when it's done, we can say, man, thank God that he gave us the ability to do that thing. Right? We also see that with Paul, um, you know, I think of him often, you know, he, he was probably the smartest out of all of them. And kind of to whom much is given, the Bible says much is required anyways. So he was probably, it's the least I could do to write these things down that God has given me. You know, it's the least I can do to do that. And I think the same for us, that the grace of God being with us, there are things that we ought to be doing, Right? There's things that we ought to be doing to whom much is given, right? Much is required. So he says at the end, therefore, whether it was I, whether it was they, we preached and you believed. Verse 12, and now we're going to kind of go a little quickly because it's almost time. He says, now if we preached that he has been raised from the dead, how is it that some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty. 
Yes, verse 15, and we are found false witnesses of God because we testified that God has raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still stuck in your sins. And again, we're going to review, oh, verse 18, it says, then uh, also those who have fallen asleep in Christ, you know, they've perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most pitiable. What's he saying? Follow the progression here. Because he's saying, look, if you're saying there's no resurrection from the dead, that means Christ isn't risen. If Christ isn't risen, then nothing took. Then, 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 then the sins aren't paid for. I'm going to read something to you as we follow Paul's logic. It says, if there is no principle of resurrection, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then death has power over him and it has defeated him. If death has power over Jesus, then he's not God. If Jesus is not God, he can't offer a complete sacrifice of sins. If Jesus cannot offer a complete sacrifice of sin, then our sins are not completely paid for as we thought. If my sins are not completely paid for by God, then I'm still in my sins. If if Jesus is not risen, he's unable to save us. And so that's why Paul would say, if this is what we've stuck our lives on, if this is what we have stood for and believed in, then we're of all men to be the most pitied. We are the biggest suckers here, right? How many Sundays have we wasted missing out on sleep and on lunch coming to church if the dead are not raised, right? Do you feel that way? I'd feel that way. You know, in the most base sense, we should be pitied for all the time we've wasted, all the fun that we've self-controlled away. Right? Aren't there things we used to do that we enjoyed very much and we became Christians and go, I have to now abstain. And I can't do that anymore. Hey, if there's no resurrection from from the dead, let's eat and drink. Tomorrow we'll die. Who cares? So we ought to be pitied that we've become these sticks in the mud, right? And we're losers because we don't do the fun things no more. What a pitiful life to live if there's no resurrection from the dead. But even a little more than that, aren't we seeing as Christians, as just these nuts who are out to lunch? Aren't we? Watch the news. Watch TV for five minutes. And they're like, oh, it's the evangelicals again. You know those born-agains. They're weirdos, man. I listened one time. Bill O'Reilly said this. Not all Muslims are terrorists. It's just the extreme Muslims. Kind of like what the born-agains are to Christianity. (laughs) I was like, you think I'm a nut. Now I am in some ways a nut. I get that. But not in this. Right? Right? But how pitiful are we that we have just disgraced ourselves actually believing the things that the Bible says? People think we're nuts, guys. Right? Oh, you believe God created this whole thing? Only a fool can believe such things. Right? Oh, you believe this thing? You're crazy. And so, again, by those in the media, by those who are wise, you know, we're we're idiots. How pitiful if the dead do not rise. 
But more so, if you think of Paul, the things we just talked about, he goes, no, no, I was, I was beaten with whips for this. <laughs> I was beaten with rods for this. I've been shipwrecked for this. <laughs> From the mountains to the sea, I am in perils all the time. And if the dead do not rise, that's been a waste. Right? For some of us, right, in this room, you have family that won't talk to you no more. You have friends that have left, gone, that's weird. You're crazy. People have lost family. They've lost friends. I know a guy who just, he, he pastors a church, very small church, and, and he is like trying to juggle everything, working a full-time job. Okay, this job doesn't work if I still want to pastor the church. He's, he just got this wonderful job offer from USC, right? He's, he's always done maintenance and stuff. To be a groundskeeper for the University of Southern California. It's a good job. And they go, the, the hours are these. It's all day Sunday. He goes, oh, this financial security that I could finally have. I'm sorry, I can't take that job. Because I serve the Lord on Sundays. I serve His people on Sundays. It's like, what a pitiful existence that we all have if the dead are not raised. Verse 20 changes all of that. I don't know how you are in your times of personal devotion, but whenever I get to this chapter, I get excited. Because I follow this progression of how pitiful my life is if there's no resurrection from the dead. Right? But verse 20, he says, it's like this huge, like, stop sign on, like, you know, the bus has gotten out of control. You know, we're spinning out and our mind's going, what have I given up? This is crazy, you know? And, and he goes, but Christ is risen. Isn't that good news? That's great news, isn't it? But Christ is risen. There is a resurrection. We're not to be pitied. You know who ought to be pitied? And it should break our hearts in half is that there are so many who don't ascribe to this. There's so many that the resurrection being true are in for a world of trouble. It should break our hearts. It shouldn't be something that we've become like this new, all, little, like all-inclusive thing. Well, well, we got it. <laughs> you thought we were pitiful. Now we think you're pitiful. It should never be. Our hearts should be broken knowing that there's some who ought to be pitied. He says, no, Christ is risen. And he's become the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. This would be understood very well in Israel, this first fruits concept. It would be the first of the crops, right? They work all year long to get these crops to start growing. As the crops begin to grow, they would come. And it's like, oh, good, it's finally coming through. And they'd take that and they'd go present it to the Lord. Lord, this is yours. And it would sanctify the rest of the field, right? And the rest of the field, they'd go back in faith, to the Lord going, Lord, we're giving you the best. We're giving you the beginning. I like what the New Living Translation says. It's, it's the first of a glorious harvest is what Jesus has done for us. He's the first to go ahead to show that it works this way. This is exactly how it's going to go. He says in verse 21, for since by man came death, that's what we inherited from Adam. By man, Jesus, all 
also comes the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all will be made alive. Each, uh, each one in its own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Isn't this good news, guys? It's good news that our sins are forgiven. It's good news that we're going to heaven. I can't tell you how fired up I am about this stuff. It is so good. It is so good because it gives us the foundation. This is the cornerstone of Christianity. This is it. So if other, because let me tell you, when this is not the cornerstone, anything else is shifting. It's moving. You, you set your baseline off of, well, well, what about the blessings from God? Right? I'm poor. I have a bad job right now or something. So God must not be good. That's not the baseline we start from. Well, well, you know, this is great and I don't need... No, you see, when this is the baseline, when this is the starting point, when this is the foundation, when this is the cornerstone, when we go from here, sins being forgiven, resurrection from the dead, one day we go to heaven, that come what may from this world, it doesn't matter right? It doesn't matter if the family is not doing great. It doesn't, now again, those are bad things. I understand that. But, but I've known many who get so far onto one thing and it just starts shifting. Now God looks unjust. Well, if God's not going to help me, I'm not going to serve him. He's already helped. The biggest help is salvation, guys. And so, and so we can go through the rest of the things in life and it's okay. Because, the big, because this is all what's working for all eternity. You know, I think of how much, again, if all we have are the 80 years on this planet, well then do whatever you want. Do whatever you like. <laughs> But if there's more after that, <laughs> then we had better be ready. And I think of it, you know, I've heard the example of a rope, right? Say there's a rope that goes from here in Feeling, I don't know, all the way to Canada or something. Our life's about this much of that in comparison to all that comes after that life. There is a resurrection from the dead. And we can be, have this guarantee that we are forgiven and we are going to heaven. And I'll tell you, I get so excited about that because my prayer, and I think I said at the beginning, my prayer this morning is, Lord, restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Because again, you watch life long enough, you just go, I'm tired of this, I'm tired of that, and this is dumb, and whatever, whatever, whatever. But I'm saved. Right? I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. This is the closest I get to hell. <laughs> right? Now, and my prayer was number one this morning, Lord, restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Number two, my prayer this morning was, Lord, if you would happen to bring someone today who doesn't have that hope, who for them, this is the closest to heaven, oh man, I beg you, please, come get your sins forgiven today. Ask Jesus to forgive you. I don't know if that's anybody here. I know it's a small group, you know, but there might be one, two, three people here who's like, I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins. Let's pray. Lord, we just uh, love you. Lord, for so many, 
this morning, we're just going, yeah, amen. But Lord, there might be maybe a, a few, Lord, maybe just one, who's in this room going, I don't have that. I don't have that joy. But hearing about my sin that I can't get to heaven on my own, uh, Lord, maybe there's some in here that need to come into a personal relationship with you this morning. And so if that's anybody at all, as, as the worship team gets ready and as we wrap things up here, uh, we don't want to not leave time for this. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you, this is the closest to heaven you get. Um, and you want to know that you're forgiven of your sins so that you can go to heaven. If that's anybody here, you go, I need to be forgiven of my sins. I just want you to raise your hand. I'd like to pray for you and pray with you. Is that anybody here today? You need your sins to be forgiven. Anybody at all? Right on. Lord, we thank you that we're family here today, that we all know you, we all love you. Lord, help us to rejoice in salvation today, to walk from this place and go, yeah, I'm saved. (laughs) Lord, we're so grateful. Glorify yourself, we pray, Lord Jesus. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.